God has a plan for everything. When you're in the middle of that battle and you are sick and tired of being sick and tired and you've hit your rock bottom, it is really, really hard to cling on to the fact that God has a plan for it and that he will turn it and use it for good. I know because when I was there, I didn't think that and I didn't cling to that. But being on the other side of it, I can tell you that he does have a plan for it. And I can tell you several different times where God has used my autoimmune disease for good and for his glory. This is the sunny side where it was very dark. But then the Lord brought you to the sunny side. Our very special guest today is Becky Placed. And Becky, what do you do here at Family Life? I help in two departments here at Family Life. I help in the development department, um, looking forward to our new building in Corning. And I help in the events department with helping volunteers and working with all of our wonderful volunteers. So can you imagine actually as a, a child working in a ministry? I mean. uh, no, I was going to be a professional ballerina. So this really? is completely opposite okay. of that. Can you still stand on the tiptoes? I can. Point shoes are my favorite stuff. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but Becky, your story is uh, one that we're going to get to hear as a staff, but our listeners get to hear now because life was dark um, mm-hmm. through an illness. But God brought you to the sunny side. Let's start in the very beginning. Where, where did Becky grow up? I grew up on a lake in Hammondsport, New York, on an organic dairy farm. I um, was born there, raised there my whole life. In fact, I still live there and help out on the farm. Um, I love to see the sunrise, so milking cows in the morning gives me that opportunity. Um, I wasn't born into a Christian family, and we... I, went to church with my mom. Um, we went to a Catholic church and we didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. That came when I was 11 and I was in the middle of a dodgeball game and I'm a competitive person. So I was interrupted by this girl who appeared next to me wanting to ask me a question. And the poor girl, my responses were in the middle of a game, pretty much just <laughs> like that. And so she persisted. And so she finally said, can I ask you a question when the game is over? And I said yes to get rid of her because my team was losing. And if she would leave me alone, we might have a chance to win. So the game was over. I don't remember who won. But she came up to me and reminded me that I said she could ask me a question. So I asked her what her question was, and she asked if I knew what saved meant. And I had no clue, but was not sounding like a dumb 11-year-old. So I made something up, completely not the right answer. Um, So she graciously went on to explain that it wasn't the right answer and shared the salvation message with me. And there was one particular sin that I just, I felt all the guilt and the weight of that, like I had never before. And I knew I needed Jesus, but we were getting interrupted because Awana was over and people were coming all the way through and she could tell I was distracted. She's like, let's go someplace quieter. So she led me into the girl's bathroom and Mm -hmm. reshared the salvation message with me and asked if I was ready to accept Christ. And I was, I knew that this sin would keep me from God and from Jesus. And I just knew I needed him. So I prayed right there in the bathroom, uh, right in front of the sink. And Mm -hmm. as soon as I finished praying, and accepting Christ as my savior and asking him to forgive my sin, that weight was gone. And wow. it was refilled with this this peace like I hadn't experienced before. And it was just an amazing and wonderful moment. Um, and from 
there on, I was the first one saved in my family. And within five months, my parents, my older brother and my younger brother all accepted Christ. And that following February, we were um, getting baptized and my sister accepted Christ. Wait, 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 wait. This young lady who walks up to you in this dodgeball game is how old? Uh, she was my age, maybe a couple years younger. So she's nine or ten years old. Yeah. And she asks you, do you know Jesus? And you're like, eh, not really. Uh, and then you accept Jesus. You go home. Do you tell mom and dad, I accepted Jesus today? That was the first thing I did when I got in the car. I said, mom, I'm a Christian now. And she said, well, honey, you've always been a Christian. Mm. Um, because she had grown up with the mindset of good works is what gets you to heaven. So we were good people. We knew right from wrong, we had good morals, we did the right thing, we helped people in need. And so in her mind, we were already Christians. And I I couldn't explain it to her then what it meant, but she knew that something in her life was missing. And hmm. the church that, we, that I got saved in that had the Awana program, there was something there that drew us. So mom asked us kids if it was okay if we switched, and we were all for it because we had developed friendships there. And within that five-month span of going to church every Sunday at different moments, <laughs> God brought it to each one of my family members. It was really neat, and I think it was August. We were all sitting around the table eating lunch, and somebody brought it up, and we're like, oh, yeah, I am too. This is my story. Mm. And we just got to share all of our stories with each other and realizing that, yes, we are all true Christians now. Amen. And there are so many people who are listening now thinking that, well, I have to get my life together first. And, you know, I have to go take these classes first. And all you have to do is just open your heart. Yeah, you do. Because each one of my family members, we were all in a different spot. Amen. So that's 11 years old. And Mm -hmm. then three years later, life takes a change. It takes a turn. Yeah. Three years later, um, I was... Growing up, I was the Energizer Bunny. Um, one of my nicknames was Tigger because I had that much energy. I was not boing, obnoxious. Boing, boing, boing. Exactly. That was me. Um, and so one of our family activities that we enjoyed was when Dad would get done milking down at the barn in the evening, we would all pile, all six of us would pile in our six-passenger car, and we would go to town and get a pizza in a movie and then come home and enjoy pizza in a movie together. And I would sit squeezed in the front between mom and dad and help mm. hold on to the pizza and just the smell of it mm. was wonderful except <sighs> for on the way home that night the smell just started turning me off and it like mm. kind of gave me a stomach ache. So by the time I got home I I was not feeling well and I was super tired and I wasn't even hungry and I was like okay I'm just going to go to bed because I just need sleep and that'll help. Well, when I woke up the next morning, I had gotten worse. I had no energy. I was very fatigued. So we thought, okay, it was the bug or maybe it was the early onset of the flu because it was in September. But after a week of me not getting better, we called the doctor, got a doctor's appointment and went to the doctor to see what was going on. And I was was fatigued. I had brain fog and I couldn't think. Any light or noise was too much for me to handle. Um, It just hurt. My entire body ached. All of my nerves hurt. The best way I can describe my symptoms is it was a mix between mono and the flu. Mm -hmm. Um, Both extremes. I have had both of those. And if you combine both of those extremes, that's really what it felt like. So I explained that to my doctor and she had a couple ideas for what it was and did some blood work and it all came back negative. It all came back that I was completely healthy. 
but I I wasn't. I was bedridden. I was on the couch or a chair or in my bed just trying to get comfortable mm. um, and trying to sleep because when I was asleep, there was no pain. I there was I wasn't consciously thinking, and it alleviated all my symptoms. Um, so sleeping was the best, but it was really hard for me to sleep because I was in so much pain. Um, so she referred me, my doctor referred me to a specialist, and the specialist would take a month to get into. So early wow. November was the time that I would be getting in there. And my doctor's like, I don't want to not do anything while you're waiting for that specialist appointment. You, your symptoms match things for Lyme and lupus and several other diseases that are harder to catch. Mm. So let's test your blood every week and see if we can get anything before you get to the specialist. So for the month of October that year, I went and got blood drawn once, sometimes twice a week. Mm. Um, it was a fun <laughs> routine. Yeah. Because it hurts, I'd, it hurts but time. I was also so sick and dehydrated. Like I, I, I tried to drink as much liquid as I could, but I couldn't get much in me. So it was really hard for them to find my vein. Mm. And after I get blood drawn, I go white as a ghost and I feel great. But everybody who's in the room is like, no, you cannot move. You have to mm. lay down. Um, so I got to the point where in a week I lost 15 pounds. Um, in one week. In one week. As yep. a little girl. So you didn't yeah. weigh much more than 15 pounds. You probably, <laughs> what, 80 pounds at the time or yeah, so? Yeah, probably. Wow. Um, so then the doctor's like, okay, we know you don't want to eat, but you have to force yourself to eat something. And eating took too much energy, and it was hard to swallow, um, and it hurt my stomach. Mm. So I think I lived pretty much on salsa, cheese, and corn chips because I could heat that up and kind of mix it all together and get it down me and at least keep on some weight, even though I was still slowly losing that weight. We're talking with Becky Placed on this episode of The Sunny Side. You went almost overnight from a high energy kid to someone who struggled just to get out of bed. What happened next? So my specialist appointment arrived in November and I was hopeful that the specialist would have an answer for what was what was wrong with me. So we went and she examined me and she was surprised by a couple different things. The first thing was that I was not depressed um, because most people in that condition had been sick for so long and couldn't do anything for so long that they slipped into depression. And I couldn't really talk a whole lot because it was too hard. And so I could answer the doctor's question, usually get my symptoms out and answer her questions that were yes or no. Um, but that wasn't a yes or no question. So my parents were able to answer for me and tell her that, you know, it's all because because of God, because mm. of that relationship with him that I hadn't lost hope yet. And she was also surprised because I was extremely flexible, um, which I guess also is not common when you're that sick. But she didn't quite know what was wrong. So she prescribed muscle relaxants and a painkiller and said, you might have fibromyalgia, so let's just treat it like that. And in three months, of t and keep taking these, and in three months, you should be back to 50%. So I'm at home, and I told my friends, I was like, well, this is what she said. And their reaction was, well, you'll have the energy level of a normal person. You'll be like the rest of us then. Um, so I started taking the painkiller and the muscle relaxant, and it made my symptoms worse. Mm. Um, I didn't think that I could be in more pain, but I found out I could. 
So after a couple days of taking it to try to get it to take it long enough for it to have a full effect to see if it would really help, um, and my symptoms just keep getting worse, I stopped taking it. We called my doctor, and she's like, okay, let's get you a second opinion, um, but it would take another month to get in, and let's send you to another type of specialist who might be able to figure it out. So this specialist wants to send you to another specialist, and you're, what, two months in now at this point? Yeah, so that would have been, I got sick in the beginning of September, and my first specialist appointment was beginning of November. Um, And so my next specialist appointment would be sometime in December. Um, My birthday is the beginning of November, and so I just had the most miserable birthday of my life, Mm. and Thanksgiving was coming, and I just wanted an answer. I just wanted to know what was wrong. Mm. So I started begging God to give me an answer of why I was so sick. I was at the point where I didn't care if I was dying. Um, I just wanted to know what I was dying from. Mm. Because having an answer, I could then look it up and know what to expect. Um, Know that if there was some type of recovery or if there was something I could do to help alleviate some of my symptoms so maybe I wasn't on the couch all the time or bedridden all the time. So I kind of mentally set this date of, okay, Thanksgiving's coming. I should have an answer by Thanksgiving, which was unrealistic because my next doctor's appointment wasn't until December. Mm -hmm. Um, And Thanksgiving came and went, no answer. I went to the specialist appointment, and this one was the most honest with me out of all the specialists that I went to, and he said, I don't know what's wrong, but here's some painkillers and muscle relaxants. They should help. So I tried those. They were different than I was first prescribed, and they had the same effect. They just made symptoms worse. And I had another specialist appointment lined up, so I was waiting for that. Um, and the same thing happened. They didn't know what was wrong. Here's painkiller and muscle relaxant. Tried so, those again. So September, October, November, December. This is January? Yep, this is January. Um, and at this point, I had lost hope. I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. life is a routine of getting up, trying to get something in my stomach, and laying on the couch or a chair or back in bed, just trying to find comfort and trying to find a way to get out of pain, mainly trying to sleep because that was the only way I could find to get out of pain. And I honestly thought I was dying because no doctor could tell me what was wrong and nothing was helping any of my symptoms. Uh, Life became that routine of doctor's appointments and taking muscle relaxants and painkillers to try to help, which just made the symptoms worse, and then stopped taking them and getting back to that normal of being sick. Um, Were you able to go to school? I was not, so I was homeschooled um, at that time, and... I would try to do some sort of lesson when I first got up, but in at first I would try. So like in September and October I would try, but it got to the point where I couldn't even try um, because I couldn't function. Um, Thankfully, when we did find out what was wrong, I was able to do schoolwork through the summer 
and then not lose a year of school. Um, but I, I wasn't able to. My three siblings, bless their hearts, um, they would do school and wait kind of for me to react because any type of noise, and it could have just been normal talking, but it would hurt my ears so bad that I would just go off because it, it caused too much pain. And I'd be like, guys, you have to be quiet. And that's probably pretty much all I heard of, out of my mouth for several months. Mm. Um, so I lived like that until March. And my parents asked if I was okay um, seeing a person who treated people naturally through iridology. And what that is, is you can, your eyes, if you look in your eyes, they found where it can be divided up into different sections of your body. And I have a brown eye, so there's certain spots that if they're super dark or mm -hmm. super light, then there's something off in that part of my body. Um, and my, my parents were transitioning their farm to become organic, so they were going to a lot of um, co-op meetings mm -hmm. so that they could learn all the different things but also be involved with the company that they were going to be shipping their milk to because they were very much a farmer-led company. And one of the other farmers there had heard that their daughter was really sick, and he's like, can I take a look at her and see if I can help? So my parents asked me, they're like, are you okay going to see him. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. I mean, at that point, I didn't really care. I was, it didn't matter if I was in pain at home or you in pain seen, on a long car ride. You had seen three specialists at this point, Yeah, right? I had seen three specialists and none of them had helped. Um, I'll never forget the ride to see this gentleman um, because my parents told me that if he could not help, the next step was most likely admitting me into the hospital until we could figure out what was wrong. Mm. And I was relieved because it would then force somebody to tell me what was going on. And I was like, okay, we'll go to this appointment. He'll tell us whatever. We'll go home. And then at some point I'll be going to the hospital. Becky Playstitz, our very special guest, and this is the story of the darkest time of her life at 14 at this time, right? Yeah. You're now 14, and for six months, all you know is pain and, and hurt, and now you someone's just going to look into your eyes, and? Mm -hmm. And he figured out what was wrong, so he took a picture of my eye and then put it on his computer so mm -hmm. that he could blow it up and see mm -hmm. it a little bit better. And he discovered that I could not handle refined flour or refined sugar. Hmm. My body wouldn't process it, and my immune system would start fighting it. So my mom is my hero. Yeah. We went home, and she cleaned out the pantry. She had just done a grocery shopping a couple days before, but she cleaned out the pantry with anything I could not eat and restocked it with foods I could eat, relearned how to cook, and within a week... I was starting to feel better. I could sit up at the dining room table and eat with my family. Um, Did you have to reintroduce yourself? Hi, I'm Becky. Hi, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> Probably should have. Um, our good family friend who would sew with us, I was able to sit at the table and have a conversation and 
so with them. And I walked her out to the car and she looked at me and she's like, you're feeling better, aren't you? I was like, yeah, how can you tell? She's like, well, you're up and talking. Mm-hmm. She goes, but this, the twinkle is back in your eye. Mm. And I didn't realize I had been that sick that it was gone. So I continued to follow that diet and I slowly started to gain more energy. Um, my constant thought wasn't I'm dying or I'm in pain or I want to sleep. It was I feel a little bit better. Uh, I can sit up today. I can take a walk today. Um, I can try to read or sew or do something. I feel like eating. And it was amazing. I mean, I was I was starting to become me again. What I so I was recovering physically and I was healing. But what I didn't realize was that I would begin a battle of how other people viewed me and how they treated me and my identity in that because food allergies were not common back then. So when I told my friends that I couldn't eat refined flour and refined sugar, I got these weird looks and when I would tell pretty much anybody, I would suddenly get a label of you're a liar, Mm. you're a dramatic teenager, you're attention seeking. And that didn't make sense to me Mm. because I knew I couldn't have it because as soon as I did, I went back to bedridden Mm. sick. But why other people weren't accepting that didn't add up to me. Um, And so what I did was I closed everybody out. I was like, if they don't want to acknowledge that I have this sickness and I can't eat this food and they're going to treat me negatively because of it, then I don't want anybody in my life. So I put up walls Mm. and kept everybody at arm's length. I got really good at putting a smile on my face and acting like everything was fine because it was easier that way. Um, I could smile and nod and say, yes, I'm fine. People could acknowledge that I was doing better, that I could participate in game time at youth group, that I could go on youth activities, that I could do things, that they were seeing me again. And But then you would go home to just be by yourself? Was that family included that you um, locked yourself away from? or To an extent. Okay. Like my family was allowed in a lot closer. Um, and they knew your struggle. And they knew my struggle. Yeah. And they also saw the reality of it. Mm-hmm. The If she eats this food, she's going to be on the couch and she's going to be miserable and she's going to be grouchy. Yeah. Where anybody outside of my family would not have seen that she's going to be on the couch and miserable and grouchy oh, come side. come on, Becky. This pizza's good. You should try it. <laughs> come on, Becky. And I'm sure that happened. People oh, definitely almost forcing did. food. Yeah. It, uh. it definitely did. <laughs> no. Um, so that began the hard struggle of... I can't eat that food for my physical well-being. Mm-hmm. But if I don't eat that food, then I'm going to get all those negative labels mm-hmm. and reactions. So peer pressure to so, eat food that yeah, you and knew would hurt you. Exactly. And I didn't eat it. So I kept everybody, except for my family initially, at arm's length. Um, and I'm an introvert, so being at home was great for me. Um, I loved being at home. Mm-hmm. My mom made me socialize, which was also a good thing, even though it was hard. 
Um, so I lived like that for about a year, and then I started to get sick again, which I didn't understand. I was not eating the foods I was told I was allergic to, but yet I was starting to have more sick days. And they were coming back to back, where before it had become a roller coaster of... If I go do this activity, it's going to take all of the energy I have for today and tomorrow. But if I go do this activity and rest for the next couple of days, then I can go do something else. Um, but I was starting not to even have that. I was starting to get pretty close to bedridden sick again. And I didn't understand it. I was like, why? Why, God, am I getting this so sick again? So I didn't trust doctors because to me, they had proven they couldn't help me. Three specialists. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. And so I did some research and on food allergies and discovered that I might have something called celiac disease. And so I cut gluten completely out of my diet, and that helped. That brought me back to the healing process again. And I also mentally thought, if I start telling people I have celiac disease, they can go look it up online mm -hmm. like I did. And that will change how they react to me. Um, so I started telling people that I had celiac disease. A few years later, I was diagnosed with celiac disease. But I was telling people, I have this disease. This is the food allergy problem I have. Thinking, okay, once they go home and research it, then they'll come back and start treating me like a normal person again. I'll be invited into their lives again. That did not happen. Mm -hmm. um, just because I labeled it with celiac disease didn't change anything in most people's minds. Celiac disease was also not popular back then and not a very common thing. Um, so it's understandable why they weren't as receptive to it as people are now. All they're hearing is disease. They probably were too lazy to even go look it up. They probably <laughs> just heard disease. It's like, oh, Becky's got a disease. Well, you got to leave Becky alone. Just <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and I would have been probably in the same boat mm. that they were in, to be honest. It's the sunny side, and our guest today, Becky Plasted. So now you've got a diagnosis, you know what's wrong with you physically, but the challenge isn't over because people are hearing that you have a disease, but they don't really understand what it is. So all that did for me was made me wall myself in closer. I built this castle around myself where I was home, and I could be happy at home, I could do what I enjoyed at home, I could live life with my family, I had put up walls against them, too, just because it was easier for me, um, and keep everybody out. I lived this lonely, I guess I'll call it, lifestyle, um, continually physically healing and getting to the point where I could lead a normal life and look into what I wanted to do for a career and do all the things normal people did, but very lonely because I had nobody in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, until I was a senior in high school and I was at a youth conference and the speaker got up and it was the last session and I'd be able to go home and be away from people, which I was very excited for. I just had to get through this last session. And you're doing this walk for, is this four years now? Or three, about three and a half, four years, right? Yeah, from From the very beginning. It's about four years from when I got sick. Wow. And so the speaker got up and he said, I would be a liar if I stood up here and told you I know what you're going through. And I was like, yes, mm. finally someone understands that <laughs> nobody knows what I'm going through. Mm. 
But then he said, I would also be a liar if I stood up here and told you that God does not know what you're going through. Amen. Because he does. And that hurt a little bit because I had fooled myself into thinking that God didn't know. I had gained a lot of head knowledge about who God and who Jesus is. And I had done a lot of different Bible studies and learned in youth group and things about who God was, but I had not let that knowledge go from my head to my heart and to my faith. I had just kind of gleaned it all, but done nothing with it. And that brought back a lot of reminders that I had learned that God loves me and he knows me and he cares for me and he has a plan and a purpose for me. And he loves people. He loves everyone. So I realized I had a choice to make. I could either keep living life the way I had the last three and a half, four years by building a castle around myself Mm. and not letting anybody in and choosing to go solo and blocking anybody who wanted to try to get close to me and even God out because God was God on my terms. Or I could surrender and let him do him being God and let God do what God was going to do and let him take all of the hurt and the pain because I had chosen the easy route of blocking everyone out, but it caused a lot of hurt and pain. So I could choose to surrender that to him and see what he had in store for me, or I could keep walking the life that I was living in my castle. So that night I chose to surrender and just give it to God. So that started a lengthy, hard process of learning to find my identity in Christ and who he says I am and digging in the Bible to find out exactly what that was. I um, thank you through this four year walk. It's it's obvious that God was with you, though. Mm-hmm. There was some comfort there, but not the complete comfort you're looking for. Is that right? That's right. God okay. was definitely there and definitely with me and definitely guiding. I mean, God brought the iridologist into mm-hmm. our lives. Yes. Yes. Um, my parents were transitioning the farm to be organic at the same time I was sick. That That's a God thing, not a coincidence yeah. thing. And so he brought that together. He brought me learning I have celiac disease and all of the different aspects that had to go into place for me to not give into the peer pressure of eating food that I couldn't eat and learning about God and being out with people. And even though I was choosing to try to close off and ignore as much of it as I could, God was always there Mm -hmm. because he is always there and he never leaves us. Um, It's like in Psalms 139 when it, it tells us that God is everywhere. He's in the depths of the ocean. He's he's in our lowest lows and in our highest highs. Mm -hmm. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. And we have a choice on accepting that his help and his comfort and allowing him to change our perspective and to start the healing and the growth or to allow God to be there, but not accept that gift of help that he offers because he's always going to be there and he's always going to offer help. But if we choose not to accept it, then it's not going to be as effective in helping us as it could be. 
So you're kind of holding his hand through this big trial, uh, but then you hear this speaker and life just changes in a different way. How did your heart then change for God, for, for you to accept him even more? Um, my heart, it, it opened up mm. is the best way I think okay. I can describe it. So um, that little corner that you still had closed off. Yep. <laughs> you finally opened it up to <laughs> that Jesus. That little corner that I had closed okay. off, I finally opened it up. And I was like, okay, God, you you have all of my heart, not yes. just the parts that I was giving you. You have all of it and do with it what you will. Um, and that allowed him to work in my life to see that the way people treated me was not my fault and it was not something I could control. But what I could control was how I reacted to that. And I needed to react to it the way that Jesus did. When Jesus was on earth and he spoke the truth and he was on the road to the cross, people ridiculed him and people didn't believe him and people told him he was a liar. But he didn't let that stop him from dying on the cross. He didn't let that stop him from saving us. He just embraced it and kept going in what he knew God's will was because he loved us that much. And that kind of love that he loves us with was the kind of love that I needed to accept wholeheartedly in my life so that I could then take that and shower the people who were telling me I was a liar or a dramatic teenager mm-hmm. or it was all in my head and shower them with that love. I didn't I was no longer wanting to live in my castle and I didn't want to keep the walls up. In order to let them down, I had to realize that it doesn't matter what anybody says or how anybody reacts. But I could unconditionally love them. Because Jesus unconditionally loves me and gives me that power. So that completely changed the whole trajectory of my life and opened up my eyes to how many people there are in this world and that we all need Jesus. Now, this didn't change the fact that I have an autoimmune disease. And so you still struggle with that? I still struggle with that. Okay. It's um, it's an everyday battle. Every day looks a little bit different. Um, when I, It's kind of like a pendulum. And on one side, I've got the, it's going to take everything I've got to get out of bed in the morning mm. and have that first cup of coffee and do everything to having very little inconvenience. Um of I can get up out of bed and go about my life normally and the inconvenience is I can't eat gluten. It's I look at it now more as a daily reminder of my dependence on Jesus. Mm. Um, we know that Paul had a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what that was, but we know that it bugged him enough that he begged God three times to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul went through so much more than I've been through. And he chose to love Jesus and to proclaim Jesus and to live his life in such a way that we can look at it and say, that's what he did. And 
if I have to deal with the autoimmune disease and the flare-ups and the weirdness of it, I can handle that because it's a daily reminder that God's grace is sufficient for me. Amen. Becky, before you go, you, you saw the darkest, absolute darkest. You saw the light, the sunny side. For those that were like you and sick and tired of being sick and tired, you probably even said that. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Oh, I definitely was. <laughs> I, I've said it myself. What do you say to them? I say to remember that God has a plan for everything. When you're in the middle of that battle and you are sick and tired of being sick and tired and you've hit your rock bottom, it is really, really hard to cling on to the fact that God has a plan for it and that he will turn it and use it for good. I know because when I was there, I didn't think that and I didn't cling to that. But being on the other side of it, I can tell you that he does have a plan for it. And I can tell you several different times where God has used my autoimmune disease for good and for his glory. So cling to the truth. Even when your mind and your body and everything around you is telling you, no, that's not what it is. Cling to the truth because that's what will get you through. Amen. Then you see those little things that make no sense, like your parents doing an organic farm. Why are they doing that? It just <laughs> happens to go along with your diet to help you and and raise a new form of, of funds for the family. So mm-hmm. God is so good. Thank you so much, Becky. You're welcome. Thank you. Family Life is listener supported and your financial gifts make podcasts like Therese Talk, If That Makes Sense, 10 Minutes With, and The Sunny Side, just to name a few, possible. Find out how you can partner with Family Life on our website at familylife.org.